We finished our series last week on the life verses that all of you have selected and told us about, and I really enjoyed that, uh, the chance to get into each other's, into each other's minds. Now, um, you may wonder uh, how we select the series. They don't come down as a revelation from God, um, and we don't have a guide, you know, in what, they're, what are called higher churches, Catholic, Orthodox, uh, the Anglican, Episcopal, Lutheran churches. There is a church lectionary, and they have outline of the year, which every church in that denomination follows for a particular scripture or thought or theme. That's a great relief. I know pastors in those traditions, and they don't have to decide what to preach on because it's right there. Sometimes it can be binding because you feel not inspired by that, but a lot of times it's a good discipline because sometimes we need to preach things we're not comfortable with because we need to preach it ourselves. But for us, what happens is Connie and I flip a coin. No, that's not what happens. <laughs> but we start thinking, okay, what's our next series going to be? And we have ideas, we throw them back and forth. I believe the Lord leads us in this process. And finally, we come to a, uh, something that excites us and gives us a chance to share with you. So I think this series came out of a feeling that we had been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament and that we needed to really focus on the gospel and Jesus himself. And thinking about that, we came up with a sermon series beginning today, which is being entitled, Seeing Jesus Through the Eyes Of. We're going to look at different New Testament characters from Mary, the mother of Jesus, to Herod, the awful king, to the Sadducees, to a woman uh, healed of her disease. All of these people were going to look through their eyes and see what they saw of Jesus. I'm already excited about this. Now the part of it, and you see that eye in the picture, that's Jesus' reflection. And uh, our, but, but, but the real challenge was where do we start and where do we end? And uh, finally we came to this approach. We're going right through Christmas and we wanna end on the birth of Jesus. So where do we start? <laughs> Well, after a lot of considerations, we decided we're going to start with Joseph, the father of Jesus on this earth, and then end with Mary, the mother of Jesus, who experienced both his birth and his death. And we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us through the many other personalities meet. And uh, I therefore have the chance to look more closely at a man um, we don't know much about. This Joseph is almost a throwaway character in the Bible because he's important for a little while and then we don't hear about him anymore. This picture itself, done in 1640 by an Italian painter, uh, contains a lot of uh, presuppositions that aren't agreed on. You have an old man with a little baby and there is a 
a feeling that Joseph was older than Mary, which was typical in that society, and that she was someone maybe still in her late teens, and this uh, antique uh, was the man to whom she was betrothed. We know in that society, and still in Orthodox Judaism today, most marriages were arranged. So what the background is for this, we can only imagine. But we're going to read the passages in the New Testament, virtually all from Matthew and Luke, about Joseph, and then come to some conclusions, conclusions about how Joseph saw Jesus and how we can learn from that. In uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. There's so much in this, right here in this two-verse passage that we, we are faced with. First of all, here is this man, Joseph, engaged to Mary, who is apparently considerably younger than him. And engaged is not strong enough a word for the relationship between them. I think some of our translations have betrothed and there is a kind of two-phase marriage in Orthodox Judaism at that time in which the engagement, the formal betrothal, if you will, that promise was just as binding as marriage itself. So it's not like an American engagement where uh, the day after um, she receives the ring, she can bring it back. This, this was binding. And uh, before they lived together, they were bound together by the promises between their two families. And they uh, uh, had this life <clears throat> planned for them together. But she turns out to be pregnant. What a slap in the face. Joseph has to deal with this and it says in verse 19, that he was a righteous man. That's the first time we hear him described in this way. But people who have studied Joseph and all that we know about him and the society in which he lived feel that he was a really observant Orthodox Jew. He took everything. We'll see some evidence of that a little later. So when it says he was a righteous man, it doesn't mean just he was a good guy. He was an observant Jewish man who took really, really seriously his commitment. And unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. Now notice, if you're going to end a betrothal, you do it through divorce, just like you do a marriage. That's how binding that engagement was. So he would have had to divorce her and he had every right to divorce her in their eyes. And in fact, it was kind of expected that he would if this became public knowledge. But Joseph determined 
his righteousness went beyond that kind of I do everything by the book righteousness. It was a deeper righteousness. And God had revealed something to him about the birth of that baby. And he believed God, took it, took it seriously, and he was unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, the text says. So for her benefit, Joseph kept this quiet. He he acted as if it was a normal engagement throughout the experience. And uh, he planned to make the divorce quiet. He could have had the newspaper. I have this unfaithful woman and I need to publicly d disgrace her. She's done for life. No, he did not want to do that. He decided he was gonna handle it very quietly and discreetly. But when an angel talked to him, let's go to Matthew, 2121. Uh, but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, that's an important phrase. We're going to hear that referred to several times in Joseph's life. The fact that he was of the lineage of David meant a lot, not just for us looking back, but in his culture, that was a very important uh, credential for him to have. And it bore more responsibilities because it was descendant of King David. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Well, that's when, when you're talking to a macho man and you say, don't be afraid. He's afraid? I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. That's, that's our impulse. You know, I've got to confess. While I'm quaking in my boots, you know, I have to pretend not to be afraid. But Joseph, the angel knew Joseph, and he said, don't be afraid, and um, this, don't be afraid to take her as your wife, for this child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Now, it's very interesting that the naming of the child was revealed to Joseph. He was the man and he had the responsibility and total right to name the child. So that became something that he did after the birth of Jesus. And uh, this was to fulfill what the prophet had spoken by the Lord through, what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. That dream was real to Joseph. It was so real that he was willing to stake his life and his reputation on it. And he took her as his wife. But he had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. The suggestion is that after Jesus was born, they did have marital relations. We'll talk about that later. Luke now, we're going to go over to Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. I think our King James says, should be taxed. Probably, they had to be registered to be taxed. So, they were going to sign up in the location 
uh, where um, they would be recognized by the authorities. And this was the first registration. It was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. I don't know where you were born, but suppose you had to go and, uh, and register so that the government would know where you were and be able to tax you. Well, that's the way it was. The taxation was coming from the Roman government, the occupiers. And all went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. There we have David mentioned twice again, and the heritage that Joseph carried from David. Joseph was a serious Orthodox Jew, a, uh, a, 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 an observant Jew. Now, Judy and I have a sinful indulgence. We watch everything on TV about Orthodox Jews. I'm not sure where it started. I think it's because our nephew Sheldon is observant as a Messianic Jew, and we've become fascinated with that. What is it like to be an Orthodox Jew? There are a lot of things on television, that, uh, both drama, made in Israel, made in this country, reality shows on somebody, and then uh, people struggle to leave Orthodoxy, particularly women who are in that. It's quite a, uh, quite, quite a dramatic um, lifestyle change. So anyway, um, that has led us to really respect some of the positive parts of orthodoxy that, that there, and, and I think part of our fascination is that we both grew up in fundamentalist Christian churches. And the kind of legalism that's part of that is not unlike the legalism in orthodox Judaism. There's a word we've learned, it's called, it's from, F-R-U-M. And uh, that just means you're very observant. So if you know Yiddish, you'll know that. And uh, what we scholars tell us is there was a time when Judean Jews moved into Galilee as kind of evangelists because the Galileans were not observant Jews. And some of these people who, like Joseph, were very observant and cared a lot about their faith, would move into Galilee to share it with the Galileans. And that's what the scholars I've discovered believe is behind this move that Joseph made from originally being from Bethlehem, the city of David, and moving to Nazareth in Galilee. He was there to promote a lifestyle that's how serious this man was and his family. So this, this is really gave me new insight into how uh, strong uh, uh, Joseph was. And frankly, some of the times I, I feel like Joseph is kind of shadowy and he doesn't matter much in the story, but he's really a strong figure now that I understand all of this. And that when they went, he and his new wife, uh, up to Bethlehem to be registered. It was because that's where his people grew up, in the city of David. So uh, Joseph uh, 
we're beginning now in chapter 2, verse 5, he went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now that's important. I mean, we're going to be a old-fashioned and sexist there, but when you have a baby girl, you're really happy. But when you have a baby boy, you say, wow, the Lion King. <laughs> but that's the way it was. You know, we're going to see that Mary went through a time of purification, which was 40 days. She was ritually impure. You know what? If she had a girl, it would be 60 days. Because girls make you more impure. Look. This was a sexist society. This was a place, a time and a place when men were in control. And Joseph was committed to that as what manliness was all about. He was now the father of a son. The firstborn son was really special in the Levitical law. And uh, he was proud of that firstborn son. Uh, let's skip down. There's an interaction with the shepherds who come because the angels had revealed this birth to them. And then in verse 16, so the, angel, the shepherds uh, went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. Now, they weren't all lying in the manger with just the child. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard, seen, just as it had been told them. Now, okay, Mary's special. She's the mother. But she's the one who treasured them and pondered them in her heart. What about Joseph? Was he just decoration? Joseph is the important one, right? Get back into that society, right? It's what Joseph thinks and what Joseph feels. So for Mary to be the focus of this is slating Joseph. It's kind of making him less important than he was trained to be. Okay, so Mary, Mary her thought is primary, and you'll find this two or three times in the birth account. And in verse 21, when the eighth day came, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel to Joseph before he was conceived in the womb. The eighth day was the day for this ritual, and they took him and to follow the law, to have him circumcised. Then, when it came time for their purification, all kinds of wonderful things have to be searched here. The purification was technically the, the mother's purification, but it's their purification in the text. He, Joseph was, was sucked into the process of experienced purification by the law of Moses, and they brought the baby to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That was part of their ritual observance of the birth of this new boy. 
And as it is written, verse 23, here it comes again, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. Now, I've been quoting this verse to my three younger brothers all my life. They remain unimpressed. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. I won't go into the details, but let me tell you, the, Levitic, the Old Testament law for this, we can go and read it in the Old Testament. They have a different sacrifice depending on whether it's a boy or a girl and whether the, uh, the family is rich or poor. And this is the offering that a poor family would bring. It's very important to notice that and uh, purification, and then Simeon blesses the, the new child and the parents. In verse 33, and the child's father and mother, after all of this, the child's father and mother were amazed. They were both amazed, right, at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, wait, wait, there's Joseph standing here. He's the father. Why are you talking to the mother? Simeon talked to Mary. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel shall be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and the source will pierce your side and your own soul also. And then Mary's thoughts, you see, and the effect on her is emphasized. Joseph is just incidental to the story here. That's, that's kind of insulting. And then Anna prophesies and then in verse uh, 39 Luke chapter 2 when they had finished everything required by the law everything required by the law because they were orthodox observant Jews then uh, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth the child grew and became strong filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him then in uh, there's an, another account in Matthew that actually happened two years later. We kind of forget the wise men and shepherds don't come to the birthplace of Jesus at the same time as they're portrayed. The wise men came when Jesus was a toddler and they responded to a vision they saw, verse 13 in Matthew 2. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Ah, Joseph. Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Now, he's talking to Joseph because Joseph is the man. He's responsible for, for his family. And he, takes, he, he fulfills his responsibility. He does take the child and the mother by night and went to Egypt. He remains there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then verse 19, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, said, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, to those who are seeking their child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went uh, to the land of Israel. In this trip to Egypt, Joseph really looks like he's in charge. It, it's interesting that there is a a, a Christian sect that developed about a hundred years later in Egypt and it really focuses on Joseph 
as a heroic figure, it, it, it probably because he left his mark in the legends about Jesus as they appear in Egypt. And so they came back home and he settled into his young boyhood there in Galilee. And uh, here's a father and a son and a, a photograph of Joseph and Jesus that was taken by an early Polaroid. Luke chapter 2, we're going back to Luke now. Verse 41, now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now, a lot of Jewish people went to, the, to Jerusalem for the Passover as a one-time pilgrimage that they made. Joseph took his family every year. That's how, that's how committed he was to his faith. And when he was 12 years old, Jesus was 12 years old, verse 42, they went up as usual, it was as usual for them, but it appears that this may have been the first time Jesus went, for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but her parent, his parents were unaware of this. Assuming he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among the relatives and friends. Now, what happens to a Jewish, Orthodox Jewish boy when he's 12 years old? Bar mitzvah is what happens. Now, modern Judaism, I think the 13th birthday is the time. The, the modern bar mitzvah didn't arise until the Middle Ages. But the commemoration of a young Jewish boy coming to manhood goes back to Old Testament times. And this Apparently, they brought Jesus up for the Passover so that he could be better prepared for his coming of age. This was Joseph's responsibility as an Orthodox Jewish father to his son. And uh, Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 45, when he was missing and they did not find him, uh, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Now, I don't know whether you've ever lost a kid. Um, sounds a little strange, but you know the, the, the idea that it takes a whole village to raise a child, and there were a lot of people from their area in Nazareth that were up for the pilgrimage, and they kind of hung together, and so they presumed the child was with the other families that had children. I think that is more, it's not really neglect, but what they went to look for him, and they found him three days later, and maybe he'd been there the whole time, in the temple, sitting among the teachers. Well, just for a young boy to be in that company was really amazing. He was listening to them, that's respectful, and he was asking them questions. And verse 47 says, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So he asked them questions, but the thing that everybody remembered was his answers. And they were all amazed, and the parents were astonished. And his mother said to him, once again, Mary steps forward. Man, this is a, this is a father's role. 
But Mary stepped forward. But she does speak for her husband. He's, where, where were you? Why, uh, child, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Okay. Now she's speaking for him, not letting him be the man. And then Jesus responds and says, Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That's what he's saying. He's not my father. He's my father. Our, our, our translations capitalize the second father to make that clear. So now Jesus is insulting him and putting him down. At least that's the way it feels. Although after this, we're told that he went back home with them and he became submissive to them as his parents. At one point, at several points, we read about, oh, by the way, this knowledge that Jesus had that amazed them all, where did he get all this knowledge? I'd like to argue he got it at the feet of his father, Joseph. Joseph instructed his son. Yes, there was divine insight that Jesus had because he was Jesus. But Joseph shared the faith with his son and gave him the opportunity to build that faith. The, uh, we keep reading about the brothers of Jesus in several places. This is where you're going to get confused if you try to follow this because the, the, the fact that Jesus has brothers is a real problem for the Catholic Church. Not a problem for me. But the Catholic Church teaches that, Jesus, that Mary was not only a virgin when she had Jesus, but that she was a perpetual virgin. That means she was a virgin from birth to death. And in their theology, that's the only way she can be uh, uh, revered as Mary, the mother of God. And she had to be born in, without sin herself. And so that, all that magical stuff around Mary, we don't accept. And I believe if you read the New Testament and uh, op be open, it's natural to think that Jesus, after he was born, Mary and Joseph had a normal family relationship and other brothers and sisters, some of whom are mentioned by name in the Bible, uh, were added to the family. There's a whole lot more about that we could say, but this, I think, is the best way to see the biblical text. So here's my question. We're trying to look at Jesus through the eyes of Joseph. As I've described Joseph to you today, I'd like to suggest this that Joseph saw Jesus, first of all, as his heritage, or as a heritage. For a Jewish father to have a son, the most important thing is that he's able to pass the truth on to that son. And many of us feel that way about our children. Maybe men feel that way, especially about their sons. In this case, uh, Joseph was reflecting strongly on the religion that he believed in with his whole heart. Men often see themselves in their sons. And sometimes that puts too much pressure on the kids. We want them to achieve what we've achieved. But sometimes it puts too low a standard for them to reach. 
because they may be able to go way beyond us. So Joseph saw Jesus as a heritage. Then I would like to suggest Joseph saw Jesus as a source of shame. I mean, we just have to face the fact that that's what that meant in his society. He was always going to have to waffle when asked about Jesus' uh, parentage. And he would always know in his own mind that he had those doubts that was only alleviated with a, when an angel came to him, said, Joseph, it's okay, I've got you. Take Mary as your wife. And uh, this is presented in the gospel as an act of grace and empathy by, by Joseph toward his wife. But in society, it would be seen as an act of weakness. He was a wimp because he didn't put his wife in her place. I think that's one of the biggest things that makes Joseph a man. Jesus, Joseph saw Jesus as a heritage, as a source of shame. He saw him as an apprentice carpenter. Boy, in that society, that's, that's the way you got a vocation. Uh, we, we have a, a phrase that's important to us. What do you want to be when you grow up? You can ask uh, Brady. She's already grown up going to college. She's choosing a major, and she'll tell you exactly what she's going to be, right? And, uh, and we have options, but they didn't have options. If you were the son of a carpenter, you were going to be a carpenter. And your childhood was your apprenticeship. And so Joseph was proud of that part of Jesus' life as he emerged, showed ability or strength in that area, and he wanted to, wanted to invest in that. But there's more. Joseph saw Jesus as an apprentice carpenter, but also as a surprise package. Going back to the time when Simeon and Anna had made their statements, Joseph heard all that. And especially that temple event when he stumped all the experts when Jesus was 12 years old. He knew there was something about this child. He was special. What was the specialness? What was the surprise in that package? You know what? I don't think Joseph ever got to see that. We're not sure when he died but apparently when Jesus started ministry, Joseph was no more in the picture. And the presumption is that he died. And maybe, maybe that's okay because the next thing I put on my list is that Joseph saw Jesus or would have seen Jesus as a dropout. I mean, my carpenter son is out there sitting on hillsides teaching some hippies. I, I think the, the macho Joseph would have been offended by that, along with a lot of other things in his life. But finally, I'd like to suggest that Joseph saw Jesus, if he had able the ability to, to put all of this together as expressing a new manliness model. It's Jesus is showing that there's something besides that macho to a man. 
Joseph was a strong man. His carpentry, his observance of the law, his religious faithfulness, he was a strong man. Yeah, we got this picture of him too. But his manliness was compromised in life by this unique family role that God had called them to be in. It was very hard and very puzzling. He had to accept a secondary role to his wife. Oh, that's hard. It's hard for me every day to accept this secondary role. For us men, we, we today, we don't have the cultural guarantees that Joseph had, that reinforcement, because our culture is different. Today, you know, egalitarian feminism and everything else, man, we gotta, we gotta fend for ourselves if we're gonna be manly men, right? We gotta be strong, we gotta what? Well, if we get challenged, we get angry. And when we get angry, we're capable of a lot of things. Abuse, domestic violence. To me, maybe to some people that's a picture of a strong man. To me, that's a picture of a weak man. Joseph somehow knew that. His society told him he had a right to be that way with Jesus. But Joseph accepted the special role that he was called to. And I think he saw in Jesus a new model of masculinity, something we need to see today, part of the new heaven and the new earth is a new kind of masculinity, a new kind of personhood, male or female. And we need to see ourselves as part of that new creation as Joseph did. Well, maybe, I don't know. I think this man was special. And I think the more I look at him, the stronger he feels to me, but in a new kind of strength that the world needs today. A strength that's willing to be second, that's willing to be in the background, that's willing to let God do the leading and to let God do the leading through women. A new kind of masculinity. So Lord, help us to learn that not all the figures in the scripture are heroic in a classic sense, but, but they're all there for us. And I thank you for this man, for everything about him, for being there in the magic moment when you entered human flesh. How awkward it was for him, but he was obedient. And I pray that you will help us to see our role in your plan and to accept it and embrace it and to be fully who we're called to be. In Jesus' name, amen.